Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And one of my samplers back in the day, there was this sound or sample patch called Whistling Joe. Mm. And it was an electronic whistle. And I said, let's try this. I said, oh, that's pretty cool. It's spooky and, and it's really kind of quiet, but yet it's, it's just kind of interesting. I'm Alex Pasternak, editor-at-large for Motherboard and X-Files fan. Today on Radio Motherboard, I have the privilege of speaking with Mark Snow, the composer who made the music of the X-Files. Maybe you've heard of the show, or you've seen all 3,322 episodes, or if you maybe perhaps caught it during its recent reboot. Whatever you think of it, you probably know its iconic theme music. To me at least, the X-Files theme wasn't scary music, like that of Psycho or Poltergeist or Tales from the Crypt or that theme from The Exorcist. Like the X-Files itself, it was a slightly different flavor. It was scary, but it was spooky, eerie, mysterious, creepy capable of adding the feeling of the uncanny to any situation. As James Corden recently put it on his talk show. What I love about X-Files is the theme music is so sinister and spooky (laughs) that it can basically make anything sinister and spooky. So watch this, look. Yeah. Oh, no, we're just going to Barbados on vacation. It's going to be great. Like, say, say, you shout out uh, skinny cappuccino for Eric. Skinny cappuccino for Eric. <laughs> the X-Files music actually wasn't the first music of Mark Snow's to worm its way onto a national TV talk show. The first time Mark's music was on TV, the circumstances were quite different. Mark was playing it live, and Mark wasn't Mark. He was Marty, Marty Fulterman. He grew up in Brooklyn and studied music at the famous Juilliard Music Conservatory. It was there that he and some classmates formed a band, the New York Rock and Roll Ensemble. They were signed to Atlantic Records, and before long, they were appearing on The Tonight Show and The Steve Allen Show. Yes, their hit song was a rendition of Bach's Brandenburg Concertos with a rock flare. It was awesome. (laughs) 
This rock classical fusion, replete with oboes and cello, took them only so far, however. By 1973, Marty and his bandmates were working day jobs, producing music for a company in Midtown. But he and his wife were restless. And remember, it was the early 70s. L.A. beckoned. Then a year later, that was kind of going nowhere. And my wife said, look, let's get out of here. Let's move to L.A. My father's an actor. My sister's an actor. My brother's an actor. My brother-in-law's an actor. They'll, you know, we'll figure something out. They'll introduce you to someone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had two kids in a station wagon and a thousand dollars. And her father, and after two weeks, he said, you know, is a little too close for comfort. Here's a thousand dollars. Go rent some shack in Malibu, and that's exactly what we did. We went to Malibu and rented a place for four hundred bucks a month, and it was right on the beach. But it was one of these row houses where the trucks go by and the place shakes, and dishes fall off the mm-hmm. rack. And but there it was. There was the uh, Pacific Ocean, and. Uh, you know, this is in February, coming out from New York, and that's that's a pretty great that's a, contrast. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I met a lot of you know, you know, nutty people there, and you know, everyone's. That's the day when and smoking dope was just so much fun because it wasn't laced with <laughs> stuff that you know really puts you down. If, if you know what I mean, but. That was that was fun, and anyway, yeah, so I'm. Our family is trying to, you know, they get me meetings. They get me meetings with Lionel Newman, who's a head of Fox Music, you know, and this one, this director, and they would just be so incredibly encouraging. Mark's big break came in 1976 with the TV show Starsky and Hutch. For the next decade or so, he left his musical fingerprints all over Hollywood. Dramas, procedurals, comedies. So, 1992, Fox has just launched and was looking to disrupt television. And Chris Carter, director mostly of Disney TV movies, had been hired uh, to make some television. He had an idea for a new show inspired partly by the Twilight Zone and Kolchak and Twin Peaks. You may remember that David Duchovny, who played older, spooky Mulder on The X-Files, played a cross-dressing FBI agent in the second season of Twin Peaks, which inspired Chris Carter to hire him. David Duchovny, meanwhile, has just released a rock album. But anyway, a producer on the new show, The X-Files, suggested that Carter hire Mark Snow for the job of music. After scoring the pilot with a minimal soundtrack, Carter announced it was time to come up with a theme. It would be the product of those things you always hear about around amazing inventions. Vision, hard work, patience and determination, and a mysterious bit of weird luck. Yeah. Um, well, the beginning of the story really is it is greatest good luck that ever you know, fell on me. But the origination of the whole thing is when Chris Carter, a 
okay, now we have to write a theme, or you have to write a theme, and I'm going to send you some CDs, and, um, and on this CD, I like the drums, on this CD, I like the, the keyboard, I like the synthesizer, I like the voice, I like it on this thing, okay, good. So I do it, I, I do one theme, and it's what you, you know, sort of expect. Uh, sort of a bang, 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 you know, sci-fi uh -huh. kind of thing. And he comes over and, oh, that's really great, but it's not quite great, blah, blah, blah. I'm just giving you the short version here. Then he does it the second time, same thing. The third time, same thing, right? Now, he's still, he's still cool. He's not saying, oh, we got to get someone else. Uh, but I, at that time, I said, look, let me just start from scratch, and I'm just going to, try something, you know, completely different from all this stuff. And he said, all right, that's a good idea. But, you know, I just don't want it slick or overproduced, you know, and I don't want to hear the typical big, loud ending, blah, blah, you know, I, I want it to be really your version of the Twilight Zone. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, was never written as a TV theme or TV piece of music. It was a ballet piece that some editor like yourself put together from uh, huh. a, compo a composer, a um, French composer. Anyway. Interesting. But, <laughs> he just kept saying, no big deal here. Don't make a big production out of this. I don't want to hear the typical bang, crash, crescendo, this, boom, brass, pounding, you know, scary voices or whatever. Uh -huh. Just make it that, you know, the, the cool little weird thing that the Boy Scouts in the middle of the night in a camping trip whistle to each other, you know. Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, a monster comes out of the woods and gobbles them up. Um, anyway, he leaves the room. I put my elbow accidentally down on the, my keyboard at the time. And I had this effect yeah. on the piano sound. That was the uh, the echo sound, the delay echo. The uh, you know, so when you played that four note arpeggio, da 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 da, you know, it went da 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 da. da. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's pretty simple too. And here's the rhythm. So that'll be triplets. And the tempo will be, I don't know what it was, 120 beats per minute, maybe. Okay, that's, that's fine. And then, all right, what else? All right, well, let's find some, some cool pad stuff to just, you know, support it underneath. Let's mess with that for a bit. Which I did, and I knew the thing had to be whatever it was, 35 seconds or 40 seconds, something like that, all right. And then just change that last note of the, of the arpeggio, whatever it was, why am I singing? Anyway, so, <laughs> and I, I got that, and, all right, now write a, write a melody theme, okay. Oh, how about this? That's simple. Can't say that's that's too slick or overproduced. No, that's good. All right. So 
what instrument is that going to be? Okay, well, let's try the flute. No, let's try the sax. Human voice, no good. Guitar, no. Synthesizer, mm, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, and one of my samplers back in the day, there was this sound or sample patch called Whistling Joe. Mm. And it was an electronic whistle. And I said, let's try this. I said, oh, that's pretty cool. It's spooky and, and it's really kind of quiet, but yet it's it's just kind of interesting. My wife heard it. I had a my studio in a garage and she heard it. small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It comes out, and whenever it was, three, four, five months later, and everyone's like into this piece, and I get a call from one of those guys, and I said, Mark, yeah, remember me, Joe, from that meeting? Yeah, I do. Hey, hi. Did we tell you how fabulous this music was? Yes. Oh, God, yes, sir. The day I did it, the day I mixed it and, you know, finished it, I had no, I had no clue, you know, absolutely nothing. I remember doing it and I walked outside and I went to the grocery store and I picked up my kids from school and, and how was your day, Dad? Oh, I just wrote this theme for this pilot. Oh, that's nice. Can we hear it? Yeah. No, that's nice. Okay. Bye. <laughs> you know. So it was nothing. Zero at the beginning. Zero. And then one phone call came in from someone I don't remember. Said, man, who, who came up with that? That's amazing. I said, really? Yeah, it is. Were you surprised at how big it became and how popular it was? Completely. A few years later, it became a big hit in, in England and France, and, uh, and a lot, a lot of people covered it. You know, punk bands and country music. I mean, everything. It was. <laughs> with it i know i guess at some point there was a there was a single right right oh yeah i did an extended version and that was the one that was the was the hit i see uh instrumental in, in europe they want to release it in america they just thought what a waste of time it's not you know it's, it's too weird it's not uh, <laughs> Ouch. But, <laughs> I mean, the, why Why not? I mean, the X-Files was born in America. Well, exactly, <laughs> you know. And Mike Oldfield has his tubular bells. You remember that, yeah, of course, sure. right? Of course. Right, that was an instrumental, yeah. you know, whatever it was. You know, so, but <laughs> hey, who's complaining? Yeah, not Imagine a world where time drifts slowly. A world where music carries you away. Don't return to the sand. Sail away. 
experience pure moods, the perfect soundtrack for your way of life. Direct from Europe, this multi-platinum collection has won the hearts of millions. Set adrift with the timeless pleasures of tubular bells. Or take a trip into the unknown with the X-Files theme. No other collection gives you the feeling of pure moods. To order pure moods, call the number on your screen or send check or money. In the pilot, they took very ambient uh, sound design pieces from movie scores and laid it in to the pilot. And they said, this is what we want now. Uh -huh. oh, okay. So I did that and that was fun for me because I hadn't done much of that before, although I had a very close relationship with that kind of music. And so then after like the fifth or sixth episode or around then, you know, that kind of stuff. And I started to stretch it out. A bit. And they would, you know, Chris Carter and company would just call up and say, wow, whatever that was, I don't know what that was, but just clean. What it was is I had gotten into, you know, relying on my first love as a student, which was the avant-garde, you know, school. Of music, not pop avant-garde, but mm -hmm. you know, classical avant-garde, and that stuff just flowed right out of my soul into these shows. They had no clue <laughs> what this stuff was, but they they just loved it. Nice limits I ever had was from the composer who's passed away now, Leonard Rosenman. You must know him. I don't know him. Okay. What did he do? You know, of him, he did uh, Rebel Without a Cause, oh. East of Eden. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, a huge, huge composer from the earlier times. But he was a huge student of this avant-garde school. And he called me up and said, man, you sure know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And while the rest Rest of the people, you know, rest of, you know, composers were like, oh, that's like Schoenberg, that's like, you know, Faber, and, and uh, I know, isn't that fun to be able to do that on the TV show? It's pretty radical. Yes. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah, for it was. at that time, yeah. I guess. The one called Home, where the family, and they've got the mother under the bed with no arms and legs, just on a slab that they roll her out every once in a while. She gives orders to these killed people and buried them in the family garden. That was a great one. And Humbug, about the about the sideshow people who, right. this one guy had a twin, but okay, you remember that. Mm -hmm. And he's in the, oh, Jesus, I mean, there's no no way you have a favorite one. I mean, so many of them were just so brilliant. Mm -hmm. mm. Was there one that was really hard to score in your memory? Well, that's a good question because the hardest ones were the the ones like Sunday Night, the ones that were the mythology ones because they really had to rely more on a traditional 
was a big orchestra score, but there were moments where I could get a little experimental with it. But it wasn't that, that they were so hard, but they were they were hard in the fact that you had to keep in a, inside a certain boundary, you know, mm-hmm. while the other ones, just anything goes. They said, whatever comes into your head, whatever you want to do, whether it's a, a solo clarinet or harmonica or anything, you just do it, okay? Wow. And that's what happened, yeah. Have you seen The Leftovers? Do you know that show? Oh, that's Max, right? Max Richter, yeah. Yeah. I love his stuff. Me too. I'm, I'm well, very much into it. I like the show too. And no, I think it's, yeah. The the leftovers has a kind of X Files vibe to it, which um, it does. You know, Absolutely does. Which is a rare. You get that mood from uh, from most television uh, or That's right. movies. Um, no, did, it is, and you know the and the TV networks, you know, CBS, ABC, NBC, yeah, and even Fox to a degree is. You know, they don't have those edgy type shows, you know. So, so how is the, how is this this shift in um, production of television changed the music uh, landscape for composers? Sounds like well, a good I think, thing. You know, when, when, they, when these cable channels can do, can completely stretch out and do all kinds of <clears throat> things like Breaking Bad and Leftovers, et cetera, et cetera, you know. I think, you know, these people who are writing, directing, and, and producing these shows, they don't think of them as TV. They think of them as mini-movies, you know. And they think of, we're not going to, you know, the ordinary TV show, and when we get our actors and our composers, we're going to we're gonna try to get the, the edgiest, you know, coolest people and... You know, uh, mm-hmm. or first-time people, you know, are doing some different, you know, and then you watch some of these shows and you hear that stuff. It's like, wow, okay, I get it. Well, did it feel you like know? that was what was happening at Fox when you <clears throat> when you came to do the X-Files? It's, it's, it sounded mm-hmm. like it was a new era for television, maybe, but but I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, but nobody, you know, truthfully, nobody there thought this show had a chance that all I said okay we'll we'll try this and and when it was done one of these guys who no longer works there you know calls Chris Carter and says well nice try Chris but uh, you, know, you know we're gonna put this out but I don't think it's going anywhere there's a woman named Dana Walden Okay. And she was just a young, you know, starting out in the company when the X-Files happened. And she was low, low, low level. And now she's the big boss of everything there in TV. Wow. Including the network. All right. So there was a screening of this first episode of X-Files out in L.A. at USC at the Museum of Science, which they have an IMAX theater. Wow, yeah. And she gets up. She gets up and thanks everyone and how thrilled they are to have the X-Files back. We've been trying to do this for the last five years and finally everyone's schedule worked out, blah, blah, blah. Then she says, and there's someone I must single out because he is, 
this and that, and he's so great, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I thought, okay, that's Chris Carter, that's one of the writers. And she says, she mentioned, mentioned my name, you know, and it's the, probably the first and last time anything like that will happen in front of a big room of all kinds of people. And yeah. I'm thinking, wow, what, what, how did that happen? So <laughs> afterwards, there's a, there's a party, I go up to her, I said, you know, thank you for that. And she said, oh, it's, you know, we're, you know, we're, she's not 69. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but, but she said, you know, we started out together at Fox there with the X-Files and your work has been so important to the thing. Was, that, was a, that was a great one moment for sure. Hmm. It, but as John, as, John, as John Williams always says, yeah. no matter how many awards and money he's made or whatever, he said, it's just all about the work. And it is. Because I could sit around for the next however many years I'm alive, you know, and think, oh, I was so great in the day. Oh, look, I've got my gold record from France and the X-Files and I got this and I got that and blah, blah, blah. That ain't good enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've got to keep doing got to keep doing it, you know. Mm. I mean, even if it's, you know, writing music for whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I I can't imagine not not doing that. And it's not good enough to just think about the past and go, oh, wasn't I so great in the day? That's, mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty empty, actually. Well, how do you... How do you feel about it now? How do you feel about the um, song? I mean, when you listen to it, it's, can you? You know, it's to like, it? you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 69 years old. I'm going to be 70 in August, That's and right. I'm beginning to look back on this stuff, you know, as this this kind of legacy, and think this one 30 second piece I wrote over a period of. Jesus, 40 years, whatever it is, it's one little piece. You know, those six notes, one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, six notes. <laughs> was like, you know, as Ralph, no, Robert Frost said, you know, I took the road less traveled and it made all the difference. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There's a good one. Put that in the interview, Alex. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.